Whether you're an investor, trader, or just sitting on the sidelines, it's pretty obvious that the stock markets are going gangbusters right now. Every day, billions of dollars are being made on Wall Street. But what does this mean for Main Street? The line has always been skewed in favor of the big banks and hedge funds, while the retail investors pay the bill. But now, things are changing. The balance of power is now shifting and the field is being leveled. Investing is being democratized every day for you and me. But more needs to be done to fight greed and enable everyone towards financial freedom and independence. In this episode, my guest is Peter Backer. He's the CEO and co-founder of Unhedged, an early stage company developing a platform to place the power of the big banks into the hands of everyday investors using advanced algorithms. This is a disruptive space and will no doubt change the game for retail traders and investors. And remember, if you like these podcasts and episodes, don't forget to subscribe, share and like. So with that, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Peter Backer. Peter, nice to have you on the show. Awesome. Um, I'm very happy to be here, invited by a, by a, mu- a mutual friend. Yeah, James has been very polite and kind in, in introducing us, and I'm actually very interested to hear about what Unhedged is about. But before you sort of introduce what Unhedged is, uh, why don't you give a, a quick background about yourself, and then and we can take it from there. Yeah, awesome. Um, so basically, so I'm Dutch, as you came here from my accent, it's, it, never, it never goes away. Um, I became a, um, a statistician after my um, uh, university and I got really interested in computer science and I, I, I built uh, a company that in the end uh, converted databases from um, uh, for for telcos and that business was actually pretty su- successful. So in two thousand one, we sold that, and then I uh, sat on this uh, accidental, I would say, still say, uh, pot of money, and I thought, okay, what do I do? Do I do? And my dad said, listen, you are too young. Um, you you have to lock in part of that money, and a part of it you just uh, enjoy and trade and do other things. So that's what I did. I locked in my pension, so it will pay out when I am uh, too old to enjoy it, probably. And um, then I started trading, but I also wanted to travel. So I traveled around the world for two years. I followed the route of Marco Polo and uh, I couldn't watch my, my money. So then I started to automate my trades. So that's how, how it started. And um, so I had different ventures, so I had another company that was uh, doing, um, helping media to cross the media, so Big Brother to do SMS voting, stuff like that, old stuff, you know, 2003, it's a while ago. Um, I went to INSEAD to do my MBA, and uh, then I was recruited uh, uh, to Google, so I hung around at Google for a while. Very interesting, uh, but not so good for entrepreneurs. And um, 
after a while, I, I went to a company called MyDeco, which is, uh, was founded by Brent Hoberman in, in the UK, who founded also lastminute.com, was his hired CEO, and we basically break that company up, broke it up and sold it. So then I went to Australia and basically became a full-time trader. Uh, I, I did some other, some other jobs, um, but um, sorry, things happening in, in the background early morning here um, and um, so in in 2017 I became really involved with a co company called Quantopian in Boston and uh, Quantopian great co company great co concept but I think they took on too much funding and had a few issues there and uh, I became very involved with a pro with their open source uh, pro project called uh, uh, Zipline and uh, Zipline, I became at one point uh, one of the developers who uh, made the live trading connections to, to Zipline. And then I thought, there's a company here. So that's when I started. And um, the, the primary thing what I, what I did there was, uh, was uh, I, I first have thought about a, a marketplace between um, Algo developers and retail tra traders, it didn't work because there's no trust on both sides. Then I went to a model where you connect your brokerage account to an Algo that also doesn't work. It's very cumbersome. A few companies in the US do it, also here in Australia do it. And then I th thought, okay, let's go to the simplest model, which is a, is a robo-advisor, but not powered by static rebalancing, but powered by algorithms. I think there's a lot of interest right now in uh, the stock market. I think, you know, there's always been interest, but so much more, especially as technology is, um, you know, changing every day. There's always improvements and innovations in technology, especially algorithmic trading. And I want to learn a bit more about the essence of algorithmic trading especially from your background where you know you come from an extensive history of uh, of trading both manually and and automated in a way first of all what is algorithmic trading for those people who are listening and they want to understand a little bit more about this concept you know can you explain a little bit about what algorithmic trading is yeah sure so <clears throat> algorithmic trading is basically, in, it, in its essence, is you let algorithms make the decisions of all your, your buys and sells. And um, in, in essence, that's it. But then you have a lot of ways to do it, right? So um, some people uh, call algorithmic trading when they automate things through TradingView, um, which, yeah. I don't know, but um, I think what the essence is, if you if you take away the just orders done through algorithms, um, it's how you get to those algorithms, and that's a very very academic process. Um, you have to make sure that um, the hardest thing about algorithmic trading is actually not creating the algorithms; it's it's getting data, and getting data that's reliable and getting data that actually re represents the world at that point in time. Um, 
and then you basically what ha what then is several several flavors of algorithmic trading. You have uh, on on the more advanced end you have machine learning and AI. On the more simple end you have very rule based algorithms. And even the very simple rule based algorithms they work. And it's very funny sometimes to see that things that uh, because one of my one of my pets is that when I see an academic um, uh, um, an academic paper or an academic saying something about algo trading, I just immediately test it. And most academic stuff is not really good, but if you look, if you if you watch and if you listen to very experienced traders, they sometimes have very simple rules that actually work, which is quite funny. Uh, so algorithmic trading in, it, in its base is a, is a huge gamut from very simple rules. For example, a rule could be uh, when the market goes under its 100-day uh, moving average or 200-day moving average, I sell out, and when it goes above, I sell in. Even if you follow a simple rule like that, then you would do better if you just, like most people, buy random stuff in Robinhood. Who's a... Who's using algorithmic trading nowadays? Who are the big players in the market right now? And and I guess we can sort of get into that more deeply later on. But just from a high level, uh, who are the participants in algorithmic trading at the moment? Yeah, so when you talk about algorithmic trading, you have to basically uh, split to two parts. So one is the algorithmic execution which is basically most volume. So all brokers use algorithms to execute and to get the best fill for you. Um, so then you get these estimations that about 80% of the volume is caused by algorithms. Uh, I, I don't know, that's not for me real algo trading. Then you have the algorithms that are, are purposely built to trade and to make a better uh, result than just holding the market. And then the, the, the ultimate players where we always look at is Renaissance, uh, Double Line Capital, Bridgewater. Bridgewater is a very interesting beast because they use a lot of alternative data. Um, and then you have actually quite a few small shops uh, which are incredibly unknown but have, that have very good results. Um, here in Australia you have a, um, a, a um, a shop called uh, Bronia, and uh, they're actually pretty good. Uh, their their results are, are very more than decent. What is your, uh, in terms of you know the major shops that you mentioned, you know I think the common thread there is that most of these guys are hedge funds, and they are, uh, you know they have plenty and uh, of money under their belt. And they've been making, you know, hundreds of millions and billions of dollars um, trading every day. Uh, how is that different from the olden days of of doing trading and investing, uh, you know, before technology revolutionized the stock market? You know, what was the major difference there? And if so, if there was a difference, um, what was the value? I mean, did the algorithms outperform? Uh, those who were able to, you know, manually invest and trade, um, or do you think that the performance is on par 
uh, with the way that things were done in the old days? Well, I think the biggest difference is this. Um, the biggest difference is data. And so in the olden days, people made decisions based on either an insight, so you were uh, connected to the company and you had an, an insight that they did something and then you bought it and then you waited until that information got dissipated into the market. Um, what algorithms in, in fact do is, is they can use it, they can, they can look at millions and millions of data points every second and they can interpret it, which people just cannot do. Um, so uh, if I say, what's the main difference between um, that, uh, the, between those really algo firms and old style prop trading, then it's data and access to data. Because it's not only is the data available, is the data available fast enough? And if, is the data, um, does, is it, is it uh, reliable enough? Because I have a lot of uh, data sets that are interesting and that I can see create alpha, but I can't get them, I, I can't, at the source, I can't get them reliably enough. So then that becomes useless. Um, so that's that's one of the things. The the, the other thing is that um, um, the prop traders were always humans, and humans have have um, have a lot of biases, and biases are basically killing your results. So uh, a bias is, for example, that you uh, you have a cognitive bias. So once you have a stock. Uh, then, then you only see information about that stock, and you see it in a certain light. Um, then there is uh, um, the the bias that um, it hurts when you have a loss. That hurts more than a than a profit gives you pleasure. So what people in in general tend to do is they um, they they start chasing. Um, winners, which is good in general, but they start to chase it to the point that uh, when they start losing, they also keep on chasing them and then they make a loss. And so there's a lot of human biases that machines just don't have. Now there's an argument that you can say, well, the, the algorithms are built by people, so the biases of people will slip into it. Yes, in simple rule-based uh, algorithms that is true, but when you look at the new class of algorithms, where you have deep machine learning and, and uh, um, um, some form of AI, because AI in trading is still quite uh, hard, because it's frowned upon by regulators, I can get back to that later, but the, the uh, the, the, the simple fact that you have more data, you can process it faster, and you have algorithms and machines. Uh, I use, for example, a lot of uh, Keras and uh, fast AI and all stuff from, from Facebook, Profit. Um, so there's a lot of software available that you uh, could not have like a while ago. It's interesting to hear about your take on the human side of trading. I think for the most part, you know, I've known and I myself, you can get very emotional. And especially when it comes to 
your, your winners and especially, very especially your losers as well. Losers are, they hurt more than, uh, than, than anything. And so I think it's important to at least have some sort of unbiased approach uh, to trading, uh, especially in the, the fluctuations and the, um, you know, the tumultuousness of the stock market. And so I think it's important to understand why what you're building at the moment is very important. So as we sort of go into that topic, sort of explain to um, everyone, how did you come up with the idea of unhedged? Obviously, you have your background, but why is this? Why was this so important for you to build this tool for everyone? Yeah, that's actually quite quite strange. And uh, when because often people approach this from a uh, from a financial services point of view, it's like, uh, oh, you just want to be another fund manager or a bank. But one of the things that really motivates me day in day out is when I. When I was doing a lot of trading and I was helping and consulting for uh, hedge funds and doing stuff, and at one point I ran a small fund um, for for a very rich man, and uh, he was quite ha happy with the uh, with the results. At one point uh, we were up forty seven percent in six months, so he said, "Okay, good. How can we crank that up?" And I thought, "This is oh, this man is already incredibly rich." And now I'm making more millions for a billionaire. It really doesn't do anything for me. And, it, and of course, I made, I made excellent money uh, because I got part of the results. But then I thought, uh, when, when I spoke to about the results uh, to my friends, they said, oh, can we also invest? I thought, no, you can't because um, it's classed as a hedge fund or uh, no, you have to be a sophisticated trader or a wholesale trader. Every country has its own definition. Uh, or, and the regular, uh, regulator does not allow you to do this trader trading. And I thought, that's, that's really, really bad. And I started thinking about it. And, and you know, I've been lucky. And um, sometimes I think yeah, people always say that when they are exiting companies is primarily because they were good but you have to realize that if you do startups there's a lot of luck involved luck and timing and the right people and uh, and i would say i was lucky that one of my first uh, jobs was a startup that i built myself and exited right most people don't have that luck and the the absence of of luck then determines a lot of things how you can invest in the future and that started to irritate the hell out of me the heck i would say yeah, international audience uh, <laughs> um, so that irritated me so much that i thought okay how how can we change this how can we how can we give these tools so in the beginning i i thought okay let's um Let's create uh, algorithms that I trade normally and that I'm, a, I'm allowed to trade um, and then try to commercialize it. And when I spoke to the regulators, they just don't allow it. They say, no, no, you can't do that. Because, I mean, when I, when I said uh, earlier, those big firms, right, these big, big hedge funds that, um, that trade, 
they also do they trade in a certain way. So they what they call the trade market neutral, dollar neutral, uh, and um, they, they try to be um, uh, in other areas also neutral. But it basically means that if you are uh, dollar neutral, you have as many shorts as longs. So in the end, you have zero on your bank account, but uh, because what you buy long and what you buy short, in the end, you create more value. Um, and they market neutral, so they try to be what's called beta one, or beta zero, right? So they, they, if the market goes up or the market goes down, it doesn't matter, the algorithm makes money. And so they only have left so-called alpha. But if you do that that way, the alphas are tiny. They're really like tens of a percent. So you have to you have to process billions of dollars to get a significant amount of money out of it. And so the moment you go dollar neutral, market neutral, so you have to go short, you have to go levered, then the regulator says, oh, normal people can't do that. And so the whole regulatory environment in most countries is built such that this type of trading is just not accessible for people, for normal people. And that we have to change. And, and I'm, I'm pretty passionate about that, that, that we, we can't, I can't change the regulator. But what I did in the last two or three years, I created algorithms that uh, are not dollar neutral, they don't go short, they don't lever, they don't do a lot of things that the regulator says, oh, you can't do that. But uh, they create alpha based on alternative data and on market data. And the alpha is a little bit better than what normal people uh, could do in a robo-advisor. But even if you do a little bit better, over the long term, that's a lot better because then compounding starts to to kick in. What is, uh, just for everyone, what is alpha and what is beta? So uh, basically, um, uh, alpha and beta, if I would uh, explain it in the most simple way, um, it's just a, um, a um, uh, algebra formula. So it's basically alpha plus beta times the market is your outcome. Yeah. And so in the most simple sense, if you have a beta of zero, you have zero times the market, then you have only alpha left. Or if you have one as a beta, you have the market. Yeah. Well, the, the, so alpha is whatever you can earn that is above normal market re returns and beta is what the market is itself, the multiplier. And um, so basically what, what, uh, what uh, hedge funds try to do is make the beta zero and then only have left the alpha. What we are doing is completely different. We say, listen, if you look at the very long term, at, the, at the, let's say years, markets go up. If I, if I um, take 20 years, any period of 20 years, the market go, goes up. And then the only trick is, can I, can I cut off the drawdowns? Can I cut off the things that go down? And uh, so that is how I create alpha 
is not by trying to um, multiply the beta, but by switching the beta. And it's a little bit of a difficult concept, but suppose the market goes up, then I want to be one beta, so I want to follow the market. But suppose the market goes down, I want to be negative beta, because the market is not negative, I do it times minus one, and I'm positive. And so the class of algorithms that uh, I work with is beta switches. And um, the, um, the, the key, the key that, that's, that's I think the key of what I do and what hedge funds, they try to do beta zero. I do try to beta switch to follow the beta in the market, but then go either negative or positive. If you look at robo-advisors like Betterment, Wealthfront, LNVest, etc., etc., what they are doing is beta dampening. So when you have, when the market is an ocean and you throw oil on it, then the waves are still there, but it's less high and low. And so by definition, this method, uh, which is called the modern portfolio theory out of 1952, um, this method by default makes you underperform the market but also makes you by default less volatile than the market. So uh, most people prefer that, prefer less volatility over a lot of gains. Um, but I think we can do better. We can do better. So what is, uh, what is, what is Unhedge doing that is better? So first, we, our class of, of algorithms is uh, our beta switches. That's, that's uh, as I said. But the second thing is what's uh, very important is um, Diversification is key. I mean, uh, any anyone in the business of, of uh, investing, they say, okay, diversification is key. But what we are doing is not, we don't diversify assets if we need to, of, um, but we diversify algorithms. So we developed several uh, algorithms so we can create as many as we want, but now we're going live with three. And those algorithms, they are all three of the class beta switcher. So they switch beta to negative when the market goes down and to positive when the, beta go, when the market goes up. However, the mechanism that they switch are completely different. So they look at completely different data sets and completely different asset universes. So asset universes, for example, uh, NASDAQ or uh, all stocks or all futures or all whatever. And so if anybody would take uh, a combination of these three algorithms, then they would get a far better result than if they would take any one of them or if they just would follow the market. And that's because some of these algorithms, they switch too early and some switch too late. And it doesn't matter because the two others were either on time or too late and they start to cancel each other uh, each other's drawdowns or the negative parts they start to cancel it out and then you get a very smooth equity curve and as long as you rebalance uh, regularly so our users have the option to re re rebalance every month uh, and then we rebalance for them then you take out the risk out of the whole thing because Suppose, Barry, when you were uh, very insightful in your uh, early, uh, early uh, 
teenage years and you thought I buy Apple. You buy also some other stocks, but you buy Apple and you buy some other. And now you're, if you would not rebalance now, you would sit on now 95% Apple and some other crumbs in your portfolio. So your whole market will be Apple. Your whole portfolio will be Apple. And that means that you're exposed all the time to Apple. Now, that happened to, uh, to be a good result in this case. But the chances that you chose Apple were not that big because there were a lot of assets. So you could have chosen GE and then you would have nothing <laughs> plus a few crumbs. And um, so the, the rebalancing part is very important so that you basically first you cre create what they call non-correlated return streams and you, you mix them in a certain way. And the second thing is you rebalance it. You don't let go one out of whack. I mean, it's interesting to hear about this really interesting approach. And I know that obviously in the US, uh, there are robo-advisors and these robo-advisors are responsible for doing exactly that. They will, you know, you put in your money, whether it be Betterment, as you mentioned, Charles Schwab, TD Ameritrade, and they will take the load off you and they, they will take your money and they will invest it into the market and try to track it as good as the S&P 500, for example. And then over time, they will rebalance that portfolio uh, based on their modeling, based on their algorithms and what have you. Is this similar to what Unhedged is doing uh, or is slightly different? No, so that's that's... Uh, so what they are doing is what they call, they, they, they follow the modern portfolio th theory. So they have a static portfolio and the static portfolio is rebalanced. Our holding periods on, on our assets are in, in general like 18, between 18 minutes and 18 days. Right? So some very short, some a bit longer. And um, the mix of assets that... Um, uh, Charles Schwab or Vanguard uses, it, it never changes. It's always the same. Um, and and they, just, they just rebalance. What we're doing is pretty completely different because uh, I can write a blog every week on uh, what the, the algorithms buy and why. And sometimes I can't answer why because it's, a, it's an AI algorithm. But uh, I, can, I can see that it buys completely different things in, in, in every period because it just um, looks at different um, different data properties um, and, and, and that's I mean there's so many for example Charles Schwab would put home builders in their portfolio as because home builders are important in the US for uh, getting a return and yeah, it's nice great home builders okay but if my algorithms would buy home builders, they would buy it on other data, like data about uh, the permits issued by government, or the steel prices, or the, the wood prices. And so they take a, diff a completely different approach. Um, because the whole, the whole uh, modern portfolio theory is, is a valid theory in academics, but it's knownly flawed and still 
thousands, ten thousands of hedge funds, of, uh, sorry, not hedge funds, <laughs> of robo-advisors and robo-advisors like services and financial advisors, they follow the theory blind because it had a Nobel Prize. Yeah, but the same theory says that all people are rational, that every, all information is immediately priced into the markets, and that the markets are efficient, just to call out three, uh, three uh, assumptions that everyone knows that's not true. Because if that would be true, GameStop would never happen, you know? So it's a, it's a bit of a, yeah, a bit of a, um, what, what the robo-advisors do is really great, right? They do things on a very low price. Uh, they, they do a lot better than 99.5% of all people could do themselves. However, this is also a little bit of my gripe history. What they're doing is so simple that you, I mean, we can do it on a spreadsheet. We can do it ourselves. And we can do that rebalancing ourselves. It would cost us 10, 10 minutes a month. And for 10 minutes a month, they get paid somewhere between, let's say, half a percent or 0.2% or 0.3% of your assets to sometimes up to 2% of your assets every year. Well, it costs 10 minutes a month for yourself to do it, to do the same. It's not hard, it's very simple, you can download the spreadsheets everywhere. So, this industry is built on the fact that you, when you park money in a fund, people get just paid just for the fact that you parked it. I think that's wrong. What, what I think this whole industry should go to a model is you, park, you, you, you pay for performance. When you are better than what I can do myself, I want to pay for it. Yeah? And, and that's, that's, that's key. This, the, this industry is, because of the structure of, and the accepted stru structure of how people pay their fund managers and their financial advisors, it's just broken. Because it doesn't really, um, doesn't want to make people overperform, they just want to sit on the money. I mean, that's, I think that's such an important point to make. And I think uh, the financial system definitely need is ripe for change and some sort of disruption. Um, and, you know, you mentioned GameStop and I definitely want to go into GameStop uh, towards the latter part of the conversation. But, you know, just sticking with Unhedged for the moment, you know, I know that there's been a lot of development and you guys are growing and you guys are thinking of new and innovative ways um, to, to do this. So, you know, what are you, where do you see Unhedged going in the next one to two years and you know who do you see this affecting you know the biggest the biggest population that i can see this really changing uh the lives of are retail investors um and i think that's going to give them a lot of power um and a lot of um you know the ability to be able to confidently invest their money um in the stock market so with regards to unhedged you know what are your plans uh for the next few years um so so the the um so we're launching this the the fund itself because there's a fund behind it uh which we created ourselves um the fund will launch this month and then the app will launch in july and uh for normal investors 
uh, I had to, I was forced to test it first to the so-called sophisticated investors. Um, but uh, that's, that's fine. Um, so basically the plans are as follows. Uh, we want to, I always see a world of startups in, in 10x. So the first 50, first 500, first 5,000, first 50,000 people on our platform. And uh, the first 50, they, they come out of my own network and the first 500, they will probably come from a small uh, crowd equity fundraise that I'm going to do. So that's an important part in our journey. Um, and I do that because I believe that people who do crowd equity fund, uh, funding, they like investing, they like to talk about it and they uh, like a little bit more risk. So they're not so risk averse. So they're the right people, I think, to start off and then to build from there on that. Um, our whole backend is built uh, on AWS Lambda, which I haven't heard anybody in the industry doing a serverless trading engine. Um, and it's built to be multi-regulatory environment, multi-language, multi-broker and uh, multi-custodian and trustee. And that means that we, by, we have designed the company to go abroad. And so we won't be one of those companies that uh, is very insular and just sticks on with, in this case, Australia. We will go very quickly to other countries. Uh, that's, that's one of the journeys I'm passionate about. The other thing that I'm passionate about is that I want to give more types of algorithms to, uh, to people. And so one of the algorithms we're working on in the Quant team is a ESG algorithm. So that basically takes ESG signals in the world and then starts to over, uh, overweight certain equities based on the fact that because they are doing well in the ESG front, we expect them to at one point to command a premium and so to go up. Um, if the regulators allow us, we want to develop crypto crypto algorithms. Crypto is notoriously hard to invest in. I mean, everybody sees these people driving Lamborghinis and, and saying, I had 10,000% profit. But for most people, that's a scary thought, right? Uh, and it's a difficult industry to be in. It's, it's hard to, to open up accounts and then people want to steal your money. And so I want to make that a little bit easier as well. And it would be better for the whole portfolio because you have again a return stream that's completely independent of of the market and that would create a better result in the end especially when you rebalance it um but yeah at the moment very i'm just i'm just hiring talent i'm just hiring talent that's my that's my main thing at the moment uh we have a lot of people uh uh, coming to us like uh, really like what you're doing but to build a company like this in the early stages uh, you know you have to be very careful uh, how you construct the team and and what culture you want to create I don't want to create a vulture culture that is in banks I want to create a culture of a proper tech company that has a mission to enable uh, better investment tools to normal people and, and that means a lot of things. I think uh, we definitely will 
make sure that people are aware of what you're up to. Um, and definitely, you know, talent is one of those scarce resources that's hard to come by. Good talent, I suppose. And I think it's uh, very important uh, to to realize that this is going to be, you know, very, very game-changing. And I know that you mentioned crypto. Uh, you know, at some point you want to introduce uh, that, that asset class into uh, into the fray so that you know retail investors can get access to that. What is your what is your take on crypto at the moment? I think obviously crypto is becoming very very popular, and not just because of Bitcoin, but you know just with the whole idea and concept of investing in a separately uh, completely separate different asset class, but also the power of crypto in in providing value beyond cryptocurrency and the blockchain providing a lot of benefit there are you for or are you against crypto <laughs> yeah i'm a for or against that's a little bit of a strange not a strange question but it's a little bit of a loaded question but because i try to see the world as it is it's just here so we have to live with it <laughs> and um but i think on a on a whole, I think the crypto uh, industry as a whole is a very positive development because it also helps to uh, to enfranchise people who are disenfranchised by by banks. And um, you know, sometimes I say to to my kids, like all these big buildings you see in the city with all these bank names on it, we have paid. We have paid by overpaying for our fees. It's all not needed. You can run in the neo the neo banks. They prove now you can run a bank with thirty people or forty people, and they're proper functioning banks. You don't have to have a thousand people in a building because they all have to be paid. And I don't. I'm not. I'm. I'm not saying let's fire all bankers because bankers are also people and they need a job, but. <laughs> The the um, what I like about crypto is that it this it it uh, disenfranchises behavior that is not adding any value, um, and what I like about um, the the crypto industry so far is that what they have uh, what's being built is a copy of the of the re envisioned financial system, and. And I mean, I'm I'm an active investor in crypto, so uh, so my question, no, my answer would be I think it's a positive thing, but uh, it's a very dangerous area, and I would say, in uh, in general, when it comes to investing in crypto, I think you should uh, treat crypto um, as a asymmetric bet. And what I mean with that is that you sh you can invest small amounts of money that you will not miss if it's completely zero, um, and those amounts of money can become for fortunes. And I don't know if it's still the case, but I know that some of the stuff I bought years ago, I bought like five hundred dollars, and five hundred dollars I can miss. I don't mind if $500 becomes zero, but some of those $500 became suddenly $30,000. Well, then it makes a difference. 
starts to make it, and if you do that ten times, it starts to make a difference in your life. Um, what I think is really dangerous about the industry that they also create tools that uh, expose people to risks they don't really understand. So if you see the Bitcoin futures, the Bitcoin options on Binance, uh, there's several instruments that are basically uh, leveraged or geared 100 to 1. That's great if it goes up, but if it's, it only has to go up down, down a few, few percent and then you lose all your money. And what you see now, it happened also in 2008 in the US, people start to do strange things. They start to lever themselves up, sell parts of the house, put it in crypto, and uh, yeah, that's just adding risk uh, that you just, that, that can wipe you out completely. And, um, you know, and wiping out, it happens all the time in, in society, you know, you have the so-called bubbles and the bubbles are followed and then people get wiped out. Um, as a society, that's not such a problem. And because if, uh, if you have a few million people and a few hundred people get wiped out, oh, that's fine. And they go bankrupt, oh, that's fine. But the tragedy for those people themselves is sometimes hard to understand and hard to fathom what it means for someone to feel rich, mortgage part of the house, put it in crypto, and then they end up with a debt of a few million dollars. Right? It's not that hard to do. It's very easy. <laughs> and I think that I, I want to just add on top of that is that I think Robin Hood has made it much more easier for anyone to, to put their money into the stock market. And I think there's maybe a double-edged sword to Robin Hood where it's definitely democratizing a lot of uh, the investment. But at the same time, I think that there are a lot of um, naive uh, people out there who are reading the news, getting a lot of information um, about huge uh, you know, thousand gains on certain stocks and they are going all in without the proper financial education. And so I think that's scary, but it's also, as you mentioned, you know, it's the world as you see it. And so it's not good or bad. It's just that it just needs to be thought about a bit more deeply. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, um, I think Robin Hood, what they did, uh, and even, I mean, even, even the, the, the payment for order flow, uh, because their business model is that, uh, if, if, uh, you do a trade then they basically sell the trade to a hedge fund and the hedge funds pay for that pleasure. Um, and so that's why they can make things free. Um, but it also uh, creates a basically a, a bit of a perverse incentive for Robin Hood to get as many people to trade as many stocks as possible because then they get paid more. Uh, over trading is one of the things that make people lose money. Um, and um, People also have a very selective memory. If you uh, if you see all these guys on Twitter and stock tweets and all these other platforms screaming, I made a thousand dollars a day. Yeah. So 
if you sometimes ask him, so how much did you make in a month? Ah, oh, nothing. Because the thousand dollars I made, I, 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 lo I lost, I lost yesterday, but I didn't tell you. <laughs> you know, exactly. so it's, it's, it's um, this, this schoolness of, uh, of, of self-reporting uh, is, um, brings on a feeling to, to people who do not participate, like all these people are getting rich and I'm not here. And what do they do? They put in the savings and start gambling. Because if you are investing without a plan, it's gambling. It's, it's not investing. And if you see it as gambling, that's fine. That's great. No problem. But people see it as investing. And they put the, the money that they destined for their kids to go to school. Uh, or they for a new car and they think well if I double it then uh, I can get buy a bigger car yeah but if you have it you can buy a bike I want to uh, I want to close off maybe the conversation with just your your final thoughts on what's been happening in the stock market lately you mentioned GameStop uh, AMC what is your I believe, I guess I, my question is with regards to the power struggle and the balance, and this is sort of goes in line with what Unhedged is trying to do. You know, so far up until now, the, the hedge funds, the big banks have all had that power and they've been um, dominating the market uh, with, with what they're doing. So when it came to something like GameStop and you saw the stock and the price of GameStop shoot astronomically high because of a Reddit subthread. How? What did that mean for the economy? Like, what does that mean for all of us as as retail investors? What did that show to the world about the the the, the balance between uh, Wall Street and Main Street? Hmm. Interesting question. Interesting. So the balance between Main Street and Wall Street has also been always been skewed to Wall Street. And slowly, society starts to, from a groundswell up, to, to, to eat that up, slowly. And crypto is one thing, um, but also companies like us, who basically allow people to invest in more advanced things than they could make up themselves. Um, I don't think the last thing has been said, because the government in general, is very much in bed with the banks, right? Um, I'm, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but the the whole society uh, hangs together from a lot of uh, angles, and um, in the end, society is driven by people. And if uh, bankers are friends with politicians, and you know there is a implicit or explicit uh, way of working together. The one thing that a lot of people do not know is that the government needs banks desperately because although the government prints money, 80% of all money supply is created by retail banks, by normal banks. Because when you put money into a bank, they take 80% of that money and loan it out again. Then that money comes back again and 80% of that gets out again. That's all money creation. Money creation, most money is created by normal credit creation that banks do. And so as long as we don't have a, an alternative for that, um, banks will always be important because they're very important in the, 
in the cycle of money, etc., etc. And I'm not saying we should we should go in the street and start bashing banks and saying that banks are bad. No, banks are fine. What I'm rallying a little bit against is that there's, there's uh, at one point there's no need for greed, for more greed. When I every time and some of your your listeners might wildly disagree, but when I walk here in the in the streets and I see Lamborghinis, and I think, okay, that's cool that you can buy a Lamborghini, awesome. But what does it say about you that you actually don't care about money? That you are you sure that you you when you drive that Lamborghini that you thought about? Uh, other people in the street that do not have a, any access to uh, money creation or wealth creation that you flaunt. And so I'm, I'm not a socialist, but I do think that um, when you start flaunting wealth, and bankers are particularly good at it often, um, what does it say about you? What does it say about the excess that you have generated. The excess you have generated is money that your customers do not have in your pocket and in their pocket uh, anymore. And that pisses me off. Well said. Just to close it off, what is how? What do you need? What are you searching for? And just uh, in terms of unhedged and how do you want? Uh, what What is your call of action? Call to action. And and finally, if people want to get in touch with you, uh, what, how can they reach you? Uh, well, they always can can uh, can reach me on um, on my LinkedIn, or um, I mean Peter at unhatched.io. Just e- email me, no problem. Problem. Um, what I'm looking for, listen, we're, we're always looking for talented people, right? So and. I know there's a, a lot of talented people around there. We're looking for quants because we want to bolster our quant team quite a bit. Um, and um, we haven't spoken about this at all, but I would love to get more women in the company. And it's such a male-dominated industry. It's, it's really annoying. And Elvest who has now more than a billion in the management, has proven that there's an enormous amount of women who feel disenfranchised by the, by the, the finance industry. And um, yeah, if, if there's women female coders or um, um, him, she, uh, him, she and theirs, I don't mind anything. Uh, but uh, coders in Python will want to be involved in, in this, this venture. Uh, yeah, contact me. Uh, we look for Python coders, React JS. Um, but also um, capital. I mean, uh, we're, we're, um, I've learned in my entrepreneurial career, there's two things you're always doing. You're always raising capital and you're always re- recruiting. So that's my ask. I'm looking for capital and I'm looking for people. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining the episode. And uh, it was very insightful speaking with you. And uh, I hope everything goes well with Unhedged. And uh, I definitely think that uh, what you're doing is going to 
um, provide a lot more access to the markets, but also in a much more democratic way that will provide wealth to and, and distribute wealth uh, amongst uh, the population more evenly. So that's a, it's something to be passionate about, but also something to be excited about at the same time. So thank you, Peter, for joining the episode. Very welcome. Very welcome. Thank you.